Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. Man, I'll tell you, it is one of those days, guys. I just like, got we got lag situations. <laughs> and I'm like sweating now, which is great. Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 195. Today is Tuesday, February. It's not even February. Oh, Lord. God is so good, you guys. Mm. Okay, today is March 14th. Uh, also, anytime you guys donate to ElijahFire.com slash donate, um, all proceeds go towards keeping this free five days a week. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes, but we also take a portion of every donation and we funnel it into our water well efforts. We've partnered with Show Mercy International and they're doing amazing work over in Uganda. Um, and so uh, you guys are, com- because of your guys' generosity, like, we're able to do this and it's absolutely amazing. I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, completely transforming these communities. We're digging a new freshwater well every three days. Um, and it's just absolutely transforming these communities. So we're going to play a quick video and then we're going to get going. Her day starts around 7 a.m. After getting dressed, she washes her face using whatever water she has left over from the night before. The rest of her morning is filled with chores. She sweeps, works in the garden, and weaves mats. Her favorite thing to do in the morning is make a hot cup of tea. One of the highlights of her day is seeing her neighbors and friends that pass by. It can get lonely being by yourself. Jaja Gretti is fortunate to have a water source in her village because of Elijah Fire. Her friends and neighbors help her collect water so she can enjoy her cup of tea and care for herself. But that's not the case for everyone. Not everyone has access to a clean water source in their village. Not everyone has someone to help them. But you could be that someone. By donating towards the drilling of clean water wells in Uganda, you are helping thousands of people. You are giving them safe, clean drinking water. Again, thank you guys so much for your generosity. Um, I'm just really excited about this year and what we have planned with all of that. Um, and so more details will follow in the future. Okay, uh, I think we're ready to go. Uh, I was very excited to bring this guest back. She's a minister. She's an author. She's also a filmmaker whose latest film Celtic Rhythms comes out this Friday, St. Patrick's Day. That's March uh, March 17th for those who are listeners afterwards. But let's give it up for my guest today, Rebecca Friedlander. Hello. Hey. Hello. How so are- glad to be here. I'm yeah. great. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, you were gracious enough to give us a screener of Celtic Rhythms, and I was telling you before that I absolutely loved it. Um, uh, but let's talk. Let's talk about it. Let's just jump right in. Um, what What is this film? What is it about? Uh, and we'll yeah, like I said, we'll talk all about it. Yeah. So Celtic revival history that happened in the Dark Ages in Ireland, Scotland, and Northern England. I would say it's kind of the forgotten piece of revival and church history because it was literally written out of history by the church that came after. But we have enough records and enough to go on and those who discover it find some pretty precious gems. And so this is my third film about uh, the early Celtic saints who were not Catholic or Roman uh, from the Roman church as we now think of it today. It was actually a whole different brand of Christianity that's been called the closest church to the first century church of acts so we have all of these accounts of christians who were raising the dead and casting out demons and healing the sick and coming together in communities there's accounts of worship and prayer movements that went on 24 7 for at least 150 to 300 years And so this is a pretty powerful piece of history that's been forgotten for a long time, but it's coming back around. And that's what this film is about. Yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised, um, like just how much prayer was a part of that, like that you were pointing out towards the beginning of the film, there was like a prayer dial or something like that. 
Yeah, so their lives were kind of their days were kind of measured by prayer. Yeah, absolutely. So they had what they call the rhythm of prayer, which was a sequence that they went back to during their day and they would just stop and take time to pray. And they did this sequentially throughout their days to the point where some of their communities, uh, there's one from the eighth century that I went back to film at and visit in, in this particular film. And it's in Northern Ireland. And there's a place where the sundial is still preserved. And instead of having the hours of the day marked on it, it's their hours for prayer. So they literally live their life based around those pause moments in their day where they would pause and pray. And we still have uh, some of their, one of their psalm and prayer books. And uh, we can kind of plug into some of the ways that they led this extravagantly Holy Spirit filled lifestyle. Yeah. So why was this uh, bit of history? Why was it written out of, of history? Yeah. So the reason that it started has to do with part of the reason why it was stopped. Um, the, if, so if I can go back and come back around to your question, uh, the reason that it started was because the Celtic church in Ireland and Scotland, um, as we know, St. Patrick's Day that we're all celebrating here in a few days and St. Patrick, what he brought to Ireland was the start of a move of God. And it became this whole passionate faith-fueled, fiery church um, that literally changed within a couple generations of Patrick. The whole island of Ireland had completely turned from paganism to Christianity. And so that was kind of where it got its momentum and its birth was through St. Patrick. But stepping back a little bit further, we see St. Patrick, what he brought it didn't come from the Catholic Church, or as it was known then, the Roman Church, as most of us think, oh, St. Patrick was Catholic. Not really. Um, but if we go back a little bit further, we'll see that it was actually connected to a movement that was going around um, the deserts of Egypt and Syria with the desert fathers and mothers. And it was a whole movement of prayer. Mm. And so that actually came to Ireland. And it was kind of this underground movement that had been going on in Egypt and in Syria. And when that hit Ireland, it exploded. Mm -hmm. And for several hundreds of years, it, it just took off around Ireland. And then they formed communities and they formed their own practices around that revival fire. Um, but then what happened is that the, the Roman church, which later became what we know as the Catholic church, um, but the church from Rome found out they couldn't control this Celtic church. And eventually, as we know, church history can be messy. Things can get yeah. political really easily, but eventually they stepped in and because they couldn't control it, they shut it down and then sent in people to rewrite the history books, if you will, and connect all of the saints and all of that to the, the Roman or the Catholic church. And um, because it was the dark ages and nobody could read anymore, they, they kind of uh, rewrote history. Man. I mean, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, we did see a lot of that type of thing happen back then. Um, but, you know, it's interesting that it's it's a lot of this history is kind of kind of bubbling to the surface again, especially with what's happening here in America. We're seeing a lot of uh, revival meetings kind of burst up. Um, and it's interesting because I couldn't help while I was watching the film, I couldn't help but kind of see it as in many ways kind of uh, a blueprint for fostering that type of that type of atmosphere long term. Um, yeah. And so uh, what were some things for you um, that really stood out as you were maybe researching this or, or as you were actually over in those countries um, shooting this? Were there some things that kind of stood out to you um, that maybe God highlighted specifically? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great question. Uh, one of the things that stood out is probably about three things that jumped to mind. One of them was the incredible faith of these believers to go and do whatever the Holy Spirit led them to do. Mm -hmm. So for instance, they converted from paganism. So they came from believing in the pagan gods of earth, wind, and fire to now believing in the one God who created the whole universe. Right. And so they just thought, well, God created the wind. He created the weather. Holy Spirit's in charge of all that. So they would literally get into a boat with a sail and no rudder, and they would launch into the Irish Sea, 
and believe that God would direct the wind and blow the boat to propel them to whatever <laughs> island or whatever land that they needed to evangelize or wherever they needed to set up a prayer cell and pray. Mm -hmm. And that was part of their attitude. It seems so extreme to it's us like now. massive they, faith right there. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> but so much of that is, is how they live. And of course, the rhythm of prayer, they were pretty intense. And so they would do things like memorize all 150 Psalms, and they called mm -hmm. them the 350s. And they would go out into the beautiful landscape and naturescape and maybe stand in the ocean you know or or go up on a mountain and they would say the the 350s is what they call them and they'd just be reciting the psalms in their heart as they would walk through this this rhythm of prayer and um to me that is just so beautiful even if maybe i don't memorize all the psalms but if i just read the psalms sometimes just read them out loud and cultivating that place and then i think the one that was so special to me especially was the idea of the thin place which is a space where they would say the atmosphere between heaven and earth was thin. And you could easily step into that place and hear from God. Hmm. And they would create this space. There's a whole lot of debate. Some people are like, oh, they're already thin places. But I believe that we're called to go and establish places of the presence. And we hmm. do that through worship and prayer and fasting and anointing with oil and some of the different things that Christ calls us to do. And through that place, we can actually create spaces that are like safe zones, if you will, for people to step in and encounter the presence of God. And, and that's what we try to do here at my cabin, but it really came from this idea of seeing it in history because that's what the early Celtic saints did. They would create thin places of his presence, which mm. to me is pretty inspiring. It is inspiring. Yeah. So was it, were you inspired based off of your study of Celtic history with your own cabin and creating an atmosphere like that? Was that where it started? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I started to think, well, what would it be like to have a place dedicated to the presence of God? where you intentionally cultivate that with worship and prayer mm. and then to do community around that place, you yeah. know, because they created this pattern of what that could look like. And I was like, mm. Ooh, what would that look like today? You know, maybe I don't have, you know, people living on the land and, you know, we're not like the next hippie community, if you will, it's not <laughs> like that, but it is a place where people can come and encounter his presence and the little community of believers that meets here. We really go after his presence. That's, mm -hmm. that's really yeah. our heart. Yeah, it really looks like you guys do. You know, you're often posting stuff online or on social media, and I see it. Uh, it's just really, really cool to see. Um, so, and you know, it's like when you study. Um, well, I mean, honestly, it's like even when you're you're reading your Bible or you're around people um, who uh, are. Uh, you start to exude that type of culture, whatever it is, you know, it's like, whatever that, that saying is, you're the sum total of the four or five closest people to around you. But it's sort of that same thing of like, you spent all this time uh, being in these thin places. Um, but then also studying this history. It's like, especially with seeing how God moved, it's really hard to not have that kind of be demonstrated in your life after a while. Um, so I kind of look at like that, even with what, what God has been doing at your prayer cabin is like, how could, how could it not, especially as you're like, you're really diving into this history, this rich history of God moving in these people. Right. So it's really cool to see, really cool to see. Mm. So in regards to thin places, I gotta, I gotta ask, um, I kind of asked you a little bit like before the show started, but, um, like what was your first experience like going to these thin places where where you really actually started to notice like whoa like that was that was different or oh that was that's not normally what happens like what was your experience like first going to a thin place and then recognizing okay something's different here i think you have to really know how to partner with holy spirit in those places mm -hmm. because people walk by them every day Mm. and it's normal you know but when you understand the history of a place then you can actually go to that place and begin to pray and ask holy spirit you know what are you doing here what have you done is there any residue you know left over because the whole idea of uh, hebrews chapter 11 and the cloud of witnesses um is that that people leave a residue behind even after they pass 
you know, they leave a model of faith, they leave a heritage and a legacy. And so even as Hebrews 12 says, we're, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses in heaven that's cheering us on. And to go to some of these places where they were kind of superheroes of the faith, you know, definitely not perfect people, but people who really invested their whole life pursuing the Lord and being really deep and intimate with the Lord. And you go to some of these places and you say, well, Lord, is there anything left here? You know, what is their legacy? Obviously, that I can learn about, that I can read about, but also in the spirit, Lord, is there something here? I remember I went to one place where they had um, prayer and worship 24-7 in one community for at least 150 years. And it's a place called Bangor Abbey. And right now there's a little museum and a park and a couple of old ruins. They don't even go back to that era. I mean, this was 1500 years ago. This was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so I went to that park and I just remember I was with, um, I've been there a number of times. And one time I was just had a little guitar um, from a friend and we went to a place on this hill where the community would have been and we just started worshiping. And the presence came so thick. And then my friend began to see visions of angels like these ancient angels. And we began to interact with the presence of the Lord. And I just, I just remember getting this strong sense that they were kind of guardians of the presence of God, just like God set a cherubim on the Garden of Eden to keep the way of the mm -hmm. tree of life, you know, because there was something precious that was there. You actually sent an angel to guard it, you know? And I'm just like, wow, there's like precious places that there's been a deposit and there's something still left over. You know, we go, we worship and we pray. And we ask the Lord if there's if there's anything here that he wants us to kind of pick up with a mantle or um, hear from him about, not in some kind of spooky, weird way, yeah. but just because we're honoring the place of his presence mm -hmm. that was prepared by saints who have gone on before us. It's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your hope um, with with this this film like what's i mean has god shown you the the purpose that it's gonna fulfill um or I, i'm just really curious because um obviously there's some great takeaways from it but i'm just curious what god has shown you specifically about if if you know anything very specific about it that you feel like you can share sure absolutely so uh, this film was is my third celtic film and so the first two kind of cover some of the, the history and there's reenactments and all of that stuff and then this one also covers reenactments and and stories and it's just a, a lot of cinematography and just of course everything over there is epic and beautiful mm -hmm. so that's not hard yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but i've i've been teaching i have a master's in celtic studies um and i've gotten just through doing these films actually recently was like, wow, I need to know more about this. People started asking me questions. So now I teach an online class for seminary uh, about Celtic studies. And it's like the revival history uh, portion and point of view. And people started asking me questions in the class and saying, well, give us some specific takeaways from this. Cause this piece of history is so beautiful mm -hmm. that we really want to understand practically, how do we run with this? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit more. We do one more film and this one's going to be specifics. How do you create a rhythm of prayer? How do you live out some of these practices that are ancient and new all at the same time and just really practical ways to live out your life with Jesus. And so it's rhythms of prayer, worship, and community. And there had, and some of their ways of keeping community were so powerful. And I practice them today, like the idea of the soul friend which yeah. was uh, Adam Cara or yeah, Adam Cara. Friend, which was a mentor, you know, but a real deep mentor, someone you really let into your life and really speak to you at a deep level, um, kind of a spiritual mother or father kind of figure or someone who's just walking alongside of you and cheering you on, you know, all of that was a piece of how they kept alive this, this revival fire, if you will. Um, and they, they celebrate that in community. So there's some pieces of that in the film through the storytelling, through the, the little um, moments here and there. And that it's like, wow, I could do that. You know, I, I, I could have a soul friend. I could seek out someone to confide in and to have pray for me and mm -hmm. um, to walk alongside or maybe be that for someone else. And it's just cool to see that in history, see, and get a visual of what that looked like and then go, mm, 
could start thinking about doing that in my life too. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Yeah. And do you feel like it really, I mean, seeing that stuff exude in your own life is really just about saying yes to the Lord, yielding to his presence, right? And and just creating a culture where he's always welcome, right? I mean, maybe there's there's probably more to that and you could obviously speak to that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with acknowledging that Holy Spirit is God. You know, right. he's not just a feel good moment, right? right? It's not a game. Yeah. It's not our entertainment where we yeah. get a nice little warm, fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling after a good worship song, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. no, he's God. And so, whether it's in a group like at the cabin or whether it's in our own personal life, we get the choice to go, wow, I'm going to honor him as God. Yeah. I'm going to take him seriously. You know, we think of if Jesus were on earth, if he were alive today, we were following him. He said some pretty challenging things. You know, there are a lot of people couple, who did not yeah. want to follow him <laughs> after very long. And they're like, yeah. hey, have fun with that one. You know, yeah. but we have the piece of the Godhead, the person of the Godhead we have walking closely with us in some pretty extreme ways is Holy Spirit. And so we get to decide, are we going to honor him as God? Not mm-hmm. just a nice feeling, not just a thing that we get to be around on Sunday morning, but like, no, are we going to get him entrance into our life and treat him as who he is, which is God. So I think it starts there. And then when you start with that, then you go, Holy spirit, we honor you and Mm. we love you. And we invite you with the weight and with the gravity of knowing who you are, mm. of being excited about partnering with you and saying yes to you, you know, and we begin to yeah. honor him from that place. And of course he comes and, yeah. and, and then partnering him with him from that place to love other people. Um, yeah, I just, I just preached a message on Sunday and it was all about um, hear, obey, and love, <laughs> you know, like that's really what it is. It's like hearing from him, following him, and then loving others well. And the Celts did a really good job of giving us some creative ways to do that, you know, but it's, it's the same stuff that we do today. Just giving us a few more tools in our toolbox that we can unpack oh, and definitely. follow Jesus well. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the beauty of, um, Christianity is that the application transcends history, right? So it's like you could look at the early church and you can you can model that today. You can't go, well, things are different, so we can't lay hands on people or things are different and we can't like those applications are true. And you see from the genesis of Jesus coming, dying, being risen again, pouring out his Holy Spirit on people. And you can chart from then till now throughout history the Celtic revivals being one of them where that same application rings true and it, it can apply to today as well. There's no, there's no modern translation. What does that mean for modern audiences? What, what does that mean for, we don't have to translate it that way. We just go out, we do what Jesus said to do. And that's the beauty of it. So now we're, you know, we're seeing decades and decades and decades worth of, prayer and um you know prayer for revival now coming to pass right those things are being fulfilled now um so it's i really see this this film as very um being i don't know if you planned for it for a long time to come out on St. Patrick's Day around th- in 2023 but here we are right and i know that Heaven had intentions for this film, especially with what's happening now in, in the U.S. So mm-hmm. um, just to kind of hit it home again, um, if someone is going to take this and they're going to watch it, like, is there a specific mindset they should have while they're watching it? Because um, I, I don't know. I just it, it's a, it, for me, it was really hard to not be inspired by this this film um, and just what my heart's cry is for uh, things to happen in, in America um, to this level. So uh, yeah. Is there a specific mindset you would, that's ideal for people? I know that's maybe kind of a silly question, but I'm just curious. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. I think curiosity is a great way to go into it. Like if you love to study revivals or you love to see what God has done before and hunger for that, this is a great film to pick up. Mm. Um, it's also a great film if you want to go deeper with the Lord and explore some creative ways to do that. Um, this is a great, a great one to pick up because it gets pretty practical. You'll go away inspired and challenged for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but then if also, like I think we talked about in the green room, um, you know, those of us who have Celtic heritage, if you're Irish or Scottish or, um, you know, have some English, a bit of English roots, all of those pieces play into, and Welsh as well. Wales mm -hmm. is in this film as well. And so if you have any of that in your history and you want to know some of the heritage, some of the DNA that you carry from a spiritual well, um, this is a great thing to pick up and check out because it's going to take you there and it's going to mm. show you a bit of what you carry and help you um, activate that and live it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was telling you, um, I think I told you last time backstage, but I'm Scottish and Welsh um, and then English as well. But so I watching this, I just felt a great swell of pride. Um, and it honestly, it makes you wonder like, you know, I don't know what prayers were prayed hundreds of years ago over the, someone's generation. They're like, God, I want my generation to be known for this. Like, so certain things that I exude could be answered prayers from those people from hundreds of years ago and beyond. Uh, and it's just kind of a cool, crazy that God's going to fulfill his end of that. You know, he's going to carry those words out, especially if someone's prophesying a word of the Lord over their bloodline. Um, God, God's, you know, word doesn't fall to the ground. And so it's just like a really cool thing, even to think about you and thinking about me and illumination and anyone else, like what prayers were prayed. Like, I just started thinking about all of that. It's kind of all very raw. Um, uh, it's just kind of a cool thing to think about. Um, yeah. Because I think sometimes we can get so focused. I guess what I'm getting is we can get so focused on me, my world, this, um, and just even the prayers of like my mom, my grandma, and then beyond, right? So it's just really cool. Yeah. That's so, so true. Yeah, because we, and sometimes we even wonder if we're, our prayers are hitting the ceiling, you know, right. like right. I love to say, you know, most of us approach prayer like God is an unsteady date. You know, God, are you really there? Are you really interested? I'm not yeah. super sure. Mm -hmm. Am I in trouble with you? Should I call you or should I wait till you call me? You know, like we have this thing with God, we're just really not sure where he's at. And yet mm -hmm. we realize that he's the God of covenant. First of all, like he has already made those steps forward to That's connect right. with you. Like he wants, he's extended the invitation. He's just waiting on us. You know, he's just waiting on you. But then also to realize, we're not alone in this journey, even though we may feel alone sometimes. We are surrounded by heaven's heroes mm. who are cheering us on every single day. And we don't have to, you know, go this alone. You know, we've got the word of God that has so many stories, but we've also got the prayers of all those who've gone before us. And while it may seem that that we were um, by ourselves, sometimes we're really not. It's interesting because the the early Celtic saints, they would do something I find so countercultural today they would go into the most lonely remote places and they would build their little prayer chapels there and they did this for a couple reasons one of them they just wanted to get away and be completely alone with the lord they called it like their honeymoon time with jesus mm. was their place of solitude with him mm. like he was their best friend and so you have all these little chapels that you find out on the, all these little islands you know in the celtic um islands now but they would also do something else when they were going to build their we would call it a church now but it was really for them it was a community where they lived they wouldn't find the most highly trafficked places often they would go to the places that were so desolate and filled with so many thorns and brambles and some places they were even considered demon possessed because they were so bad or cursed wow. and those were the places they chose for their chapels because they felt like it was their job to redeem the land and turn it into a place of blessing. And they did. And they had this incredible statement. And they would also go, and before they started their community, their chapel area, they would fast and pray on the land for 40 days. 
They wouldn't build anything. They wouldn't do anything. They would just fast and pray to create this kind of open heaven realm for people to step into. Hmm. And then they would build their little prayer cell, which was their individual prayer hut. And then they would build a chapel. And then they would build a place to live. So they had this way of consecrating their spaces for prayer. So they were all in. They were so intentional. And they were creating places to meet with God. And then they were bringing people into that place. Wow. So it's very different than kind of a, a Western mentality where we're like, oh, we have to find the busiest place in town to build a church and make sure that it's accessible so people can come. Like they were the opposite. They're like, we're going to find the cursed place and fast. The nastiest we'll... place, with the grossest exactly. land. <laughs> Until the glory comes and then bring Man. people into that as a testimony, as a statement of what God can do. Yeah. And so it was just a very different way of kingdom thinking. Um, but, you know, if God could do that with land, how much he can do that for humans with all of us? You know, we think, gosh, I really need a savior today. Like, well, he's good at that. You know, mm. nothing's too hard for him. Come on. Come on. I'm reminded, you know, when I was in missions, there was a story. Someone, some speaker came in and he was telling a story about um, one of his students who went to, I want to say it was Brazil, but they went to this area that was like, a lot of um, really dark stuff happened there. And she went there because she felt like she was supposed to go. Uh, and they were like, okay, well, we don't have a place for you except for this little hut, this like grave diggers hut by the graveyard. And they would do all these like rituals in the, the graveyard and like really nasty, like demons would show up and stuff. But she was like, okay, fine. And they knew that everyone that went there would die. Like everyone that would go to this grave, grave digger site or that grave digger hut and they would sleep there they would send people there to die because they would start cursing her well this christian goes there this girl who's just loving the community and everything and nothing would happen to her um and demons would visit her at night and she would just cast them away and all this stuff um and she ended up transforming this community because they were like why are you not dying um and it kind of reminded me a little bit of that you know going to the nastiest place to set an atmosphere to change the atmosphere um that's a pretty bold thing, you know, but that's yeah. the cool thing about the, the Celtic, the, the, the Celts was that like you were saying they were pagan and then they, they converted to Christianity. So their perspective was different. They didn't have the burden of going through Roman Catholicism and then having to kind of weed out maybe some weird doctrine or whatever. They literally went from having spiritual encounters that weren't good to now having God spiritual encounters. And there's kind of a, it's a completely different flavor because they come from a different background. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and to your point, you know, one of the legends about St. Patrick is that he drove the snakes out of Ireland, which is <laughs> not true. There were never any snakes in Ireland, Oh, really? but it was, a, it was a take, it, take or points back to the fact that he drove the demons out of Ireland mm. because it was pagan human sacrifice and slavery when he was um when he first came and we can document that um but by the time he left that had stopped those practices had stopped and a third of Ireland had converted to Christianity and it was not without a cost. We can actually look back and read St. Patrick's own writings. They call it a confession, which was like his confession of faith. And you can read it, you know, Google uh, oh, St. Wow. Patrick's confession. And it is literally like reading this, a writing of the apostle Paul or somebody like that. Like he's quoting scripture all through it. He's telling his fascinating story of being kidnapped as a teenager and taken as a slave to Ireland. And then his whole story was that he was, um you know his his master slave owner um so basically he was slave trafficked you know and he was uh. taken to ireland from the coast of um great britain and while he was there he has an encounter with the lord or all the things that he was raised to believe and his childhood about christ from his parents actually sank in and it says there were times in his own writings it says there were times where he started praying even a hundred times in a night uh, or a day and then even more at night to the Lord. So he just began to cry out to God. And eventually the story is um, that he has a vision or a dream and God tends, uh, tells him it's time to go. And after six years in slavery, he gets up and he goes and he walks possibly uh, several hundred miles to the coast where God tells him your ship is ready. Hmm. And there's the ship. 
And so he ends up getting back home. But then later, uh, God says, hey, I'm sending you back. So he gets training for about 20 years in um, what we think was a, a community that was connected to the early desert fathers and mothers, that monastic community. He stays there for about 20 years. And then he goes back having received training uh, back to Ireland and the whole island has changed. So it's, mm. it's a really powerful story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, transformation that, that happened. Um, but it came from him being in the alone place and crying out to God and spending time in prayer. And from that place, that faith rose up in him uh, to be able to step out and do some amazing things. Mm. And really uh, cast, you know, getting driving demons out of Ireland is way more epic than driving snakes out of, de- out of Ireland, I got to say, you know, because that's really what happened, you know, so. Uh, it's way more epic. Um, okay. Well, you mentioned the desert fathers and mothers, um, and there was a movement of prayer within those de- desert father and mothers. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I love talking about this. So right after Jesus went to heaven, you have he and his apostles um, who, you know, kind of, well, you actually, you have the apostles who began to carry out the gospel and they did follow up and go into all the earth, right? And we know that we can track that. And so you have the apostle Peter, who was in Rome, and and he's the one that uh, the Roman church or later the Catholic church really considered their spiritual father. Um, Another one that we can really trace back is the apostle John. And this is where the Celtic saints got their history from, uh, but also the desert fathers and mothers. And this is a fascinating, fascinating story. So uh, what happened is that Christianity was persecuted for hundreds of years. So um, you have all of the Roman emperors and um, up until Constantine, which was in like the fourth century. I mean, Christianity was illegal for a lot of that time. You could be persecuted or killed for believing in Jesus. So there were a lot of martyrs, a lot of bloodshed, but there was also a real stamina and strength to the church because those who were Christians were really serious. You know, like you go to some of these persecuted countries, it's like they know the price that they may have yeah. to pay and they've already decided to follow Jesus. You know, it's just a real pre- pure yeah, they don't play. breed of Christians. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the whole church was like, you know, in, in Europe and, and in those days. And so um, and in the Middle East. And so when uh, Constantine came and he was all of a sudden saying, OK, now I'm a Christian of some form. I'm going to legalize Christianity. That was really good in a lot of ways. Um, but it became very, uh, Christianity became very political then. Mm. And there were all sorts of political favors and worldliness started creeping into the church in a way that it had not happened yet until that point. And so some Christians began to feel a longing to get back to the purity and simplicity of their faith. And so the desert fathers and mothers, were those who left the big cities where they felt like had become very extravagant um, and Christianity was very, um, maybe a little bit watered down. Um, And they left the cities and they went out into the deserts to seek God, kind of like Jesus for 40 days fasting Mm -hmm. and praying or Elijah in the wilderness or John the Baptist, you know, Mm -hmm. following that example. And they would literally go into the deserts and spend time fasting and praying and they would come out of those places filled with the power of God and they would be raising the dead and doing miracles and having all this wisdom and and they were known as the desert fathers and mothers and um it was both men and women and the stories from some of those guys are just like crazy amazing just crazy just fascinating and so it was really kind of a protest movement against worldliness in the church But in reality, that spread to Ireland and it became a pioneering movement. So the cows took what they learned about prayer and fasting and going into those wild wilderness places with the Lord and seeking his face and, you know, gleaning from that place of his presence. And then they began to build communities around it. And and that's where the whole Celtic church kind of um, exploded from was really a spinoff from the prayer and fasting movement that was happening in the desert. It's a really interesting piece of history. Yeah. I find it interesting. So how can, if people want to read 
more about this look into this more like what what would you should desert fathers and mothers christianity like what 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 are some good resources do you know help elijah fire continue to make an impact around the world all donations go toward making elijah fire and the elijah fire podcast possible visit elijahfire.com slash give and become a partner today yeah so um if you just do a search on amazon there's some good books about the desert fathers and mothers you'll want to kind of skim through them and, and take it with a bit of you know a grain of salt there's some that are better than others some of them of course have more of a um a bit of a, I would say, a new age kind of spin to yeah. the way that they've been interpreted. Um, but if you go back and, you know, do a little bit of um, research, you'll find some really good ones. Look for the ones with the most reviews and the best reviews and you'll find yeah. some good stuff. Yeah, and definitely look at the reviews before <laughs> before buying. Yes, yeah. So I see a note here, actually. It's really kind of interesting. The Celtic Saints had a missionary-based uh, for training prayer warriors. Tell us about that. Yeah. So one of my favorite places to go, and if you get a chance to go to England and want to go to a really cool spot, um, check out Lindisfarne Holy Island. And it sounds like a cheese, but it's actually an island. Lindisfarne <laughs> Holy Island. And it's Northeast England, right on the coast. And what it is, it's um, 1,500 years ago, it was one of the islands that the saints would go and pray. And what's interesting about this particular place is if you go there, there's a lot of Celtic history. So you'll, you'll go really deep and all that. There's little churches and there's people who know about the Celtic saints there. So it's a fun place to go. A lot of history. Um, but you can also stand on the top of this cliff that overlooks the sea. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, well, let me give you a little bit of backstory first. So this, this island is a tidal island. So that means the tide comes up and goes down um, every seven hours. And so the road that connects the island to the mainland is underwater for half the day. Yeah, it's wild. So, I mean, there's only, you know, just I think less than 200 people who actually live on the island. Um, but you have to plan your in and out going based on the rhythm of the tides, which is interesting. Um, but it would have been like this 1500 years ago as well. And so they kind of planted their community on this island crafting their whole days and their whole uh, prayer life around the rhythm of the tide, the rhythm of prayer, this idea of, you know, being cut off from the mainland and also open to community, that whole thing. And so from this, again, going back to this cliff, you know, you can stand on the cliff, there's this ancient um, stone ruin there that you can see just the foundations that would have gone back to probably the eighth century. Um, And when you're standing there, that's where their chapel probably would have been. Um, but then you can look out and there's a tiny little island that's, again, it's cut off for about half a day. And even just from the island that you're standing on, it's another little island that you can walk to when the tide is low. And then you'd have to swim to if you needed to when the tide was high. Mm-hmm. But that's where they would send their prayer warriors to train as prayer warriors. So they would send them out to this little island disconnected from the community for seven hours a day to practice praying and to practice being alone with the Lord. And then they could always see the big community up there on the cliff. So they would know, okay, like I'm not too far away. I'm still connected. You know, I can go back after seven hours or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And it's now that they would have used fire signals as well to communicate, you know, so you could always look for the light of the fire. But then there's also some islands that are even further away and you have to take a boat to, and they're called the Interfarn Islands. And that's where they would send their more trained prayer warriors to pray because it was a little bit further and it was a little bit more isolated. And that was where the ones who were really going to intercede and petition heaven and spend deep time with the Lord and completely focus on him. That's where they would go. Wow. And so you, you can actually stand there on the island and see these these training outposts, if you will, that the early saints used to train their prayer warriors on intimacy with God and Mm. walking in prayer, but they're all still visible, you know, so you could connect through, you know, a fire signal or anything like that, come back to the community whenever um, you felt like it. But it's just a fascinating piece of history again. um, And there's actually stories. There's one story of one of the early saints who was on one of those far islands, one of the interfound islands, and he, he looks up and he can see the castle 
that belonged to the king of that region on the other side of the water. And there's an enemy army that's coming across the, the, the land to attack this castle. And here's the saint far away, like maybe two miles away on this island, having his prayer time with God. And the story is that he, he says, oh, Lord, look and see what evil this King Penda, the attacking army, is doing. And the, the story is immediately the wind shifts. And as the enemy is, is trying to burn out the castle um, with bundles of sticks that they've set on fire, the wind comes and blows and shifts the smoke away and the castle is saved. And so it's amazing, just again, just the little stories of the prayer mm -hmm. warriors, the, how they would actually be protectors of a certain area because they carried so much authority and weight um, with their prayers. So it's it's a fun thing to look at. Yeah. The level of commitment, you know, where, you know, often with us, you know, it's like we can be like, I'm going to, I'm going to pray God. And then, you know, uh, you have your phone next to you and you get a text and all of a sudden you look at it and an hour later, you're like, oh, I was supposed to be praying, you know, but the level of commitment. And I think it's actually really cool that there's like, there were stages of like, growth um you know where you're like okay well that first island you're only going to be there on for seven hours the tide will go back down and then you can walk over but then those further islands you're there until someone gets you <laughs> goes it gets you you know uh that's that's do you know if they would like take the boat leave them there with no boat or did they take the boat there until they had a boat and they could come back do you know I would imagine it was, I think they probably would have had their own boat, but I, I don't know for sure. Maybe there were a couple um, of hardcore guys that were like, no, no take boat. me there, <laughs> says I, leave me there, doth take the boat away, then come bring it back. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't know, but they would probably, I mean, they were that kind of hardcore. So I think that's probably along that kind of thinking. Yeah. yeah, sure. All right. Well, let's talk about modern application, um, which is pretty much going to be like the same, you know, in terms of just tenacity. Uh, but um, how how can we create a culture? You know, because you talked a lot about rhythm of prayer. Um, how can we create a culture of rhythm of prayer today, right now, Rebecca? Yeah. So I think there's a couple ways that to break it down. And that's a really good question. So the early, actually the desert fathers and mothers, they had something they called like their alone prayer. So that was them and God. And then they had their community prayer. It was when they were in community. And then they had something called alone together, which was where they had a group of people that were really interested in pursuing individual prayer so they'd have mm -hmm. like their little prayer huts you know and they'd all be in their own hut but they knew as they were praying to the lord the person next to them was also mm. praying so i think it kind of has to be this idea of i'm going to cultivate it for me but i'm also going to find a group of people who really want to do it too yeah that's good and do it well because it, it takes both you know it, it takes both but i think the other thing that that really has been helpful because I don't know about you, but like sometimes when I think of like praying for an hour or praying for a while on a continual basis, like sometimes I could do that really well. And sometimes it's just really hard to feel it's that struggle. engaged, like yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that we've really tried to practice here is called priesting the presence of God. Okay. And it's just something the Lord told me a couple of years ago when I was here at the cabin, he's like, I want you guys to priest my presence. And it goes back to, I won't get into a whole lot, but it's something we teach here a lot because the idea of the priest in the Old Testament was one who was engaging with the things of God in the tabernacle or temple. And the tabernacle temple pattern is all a model of heaven. And so if we're New Testament priests, that means that we can literally go into spiritually, in spiritual places, we're seated with him, and we're called to engage. We're called to be priests. We're called to practice. Um, his presence, but we're also called to go, well, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? How can we partner with you? And it works really well with a group of people who are just really um, intentional about, hey, let's let's do some prayer together and not going to just be me talking to the ceiling or wondering if God is interested. Like we're going to pray, we're going to press in. Maybe we'll just pray in the spirit for a bit till we get 
somebody gets a little prophetic word or a little revelation mm -hmm. and we'll pray into that. And then somebody else gets a revelation and we'll pray into that. So we're actually beginning to walk in the spirit together and preach mm -hmm. the presence of God. So there's yeah. some really fun ways that we can do that makes it um, a little more, a lot more engaging and fulfilling. And pretty soon you look up and you're like, whoa, that was like two or three hours of prayer. Like what even happened at the time? Yeah. And it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that that's really cool because I found even with myself that the times when I had like really dynamic times of prayer with the Lord, it was like this, we, it was this like this ebb and this flow in, in the time where it was like, pray, prophesy, uh, worship, you know, bust out, you know, God will highlight a scripture to me or, or a, a, a chapter in a, one of the books of the Bible. And I'll read that and, and you'll highlight certain things and I'll declare that. And then we go back to praying and interceding. And it's like this fun ebb and flow. Um, and there was actually a quote, actually, I wrote it down um, from the, uh, the film and there's a, guy that you're interviewing he says rhythm of prayer means that we're always coming back to the lord in prayer like that that away and i kind of took that as like this just constant awareness of of god and and always never never isolating prayer to one singular moment but always having these like these moments where you're praying and then boom and then you go back and then you go back and you go back um and so it just seemed like it, it's like this very dynamic you're creating this dynamic culture of prayer um, versus like, okay, now we're going to stop and we're just going to pray for 20 minutes, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Because there's so many different forms of prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not just one, there's lament, which is a form of prayer where you're pouring out your grief to the Lord and you're mm -hmm. wrestling with him over it. That's a form of prayer. You know, you have your times of rejoicing, with him and that's a form of prayer you have your times of celebration you have times of honoring him you have your times of laying on the floor and going god i don't get it you know all of those things are forms of prayer and so it's really about having conversation with him and learning how to really lean into those times and it's also sometimes we think we have to be more creative than we we actually need to be, I think, you know, sometimes, I mean, that's why the, the early church had liturgy because they didn't feel like they had to come up with something new to say every time they came to the Lord. I'm pretty wordy. So usually I have no problem talking to the Lord, but, uh, but, for but those who don't or who aren't, for yeah. those who want to say a little less, but you know, have it sometimes I'll just, I just need to read the Psalms yeah, and read them well, out loud and yep. pick up somebody else's prayers and read them out loud or pick up a, a devotional or like one thing that came out of this trip was, and we talked about this last time with the devotional Abba's heart, which is yeah. the father's heart speaking over us. You know, sometimes it's picking up something like that or like Jesus calling and letting the Lord speak over you mm -hmm. and just receiving it, you know, or playing scripture. I have my favorite, you know, scripture uh, apps or downloads or whatever that have the red word of God which is just like, oh, I just need to soak in the presence of God today. And maybe my prayer time is like going for a walk and listening to that in my earbuds and just letting the, the words of the scriptures being spoke over me. You know, there's not necessarily one form of like how to do it. It's more about just figuring out some ways that really are real to you and feel authentic and connected and that feeds your heart and then going there, you know? Yeah. And, and we don't have to label it. Come on. Specifically one thing that is all about connection. Yeah. Cause I think we do have a tendency um, if we're not careful to kind of, well, that worked. Okay. Let's create a formula out of it. And you can start, I've seen it. Like you can start, you create a formula and you start doing it in a very formulaic way. And you kind of ride the, this wave of, of, you still see response. You still, you still feel like you're connecting, but then eventually it just seems like over a period of time, you just end up kind of getting into a rut and you just start saying it just to say it or, or praying this thing a specific way, because then it suddenly becomes this, like this constricting tradition. And I'm not against tradition, obviously, but um, yeah. So I, I think that's really good. You said it that way. So um, lastly, as we're kind of closing out, um, especially with what's happening here in the U.S., which I believe we're going to see even beyond the U.S. in in greater measures as well. Um, 
is uh, what can past revivals teach us about revival and outpouring that's happening now? I think it shows us some things that God loves. And whenever we go to those things that God loves and when we see a pattern of it, uh, we can pick that up and immediately it's like pulling on his heartstrings, you Mm -hmm. know, impressing those same things that um, made such a difference. There's, there's things that we can see that are kind of like echoes of past revival that are still hanging in history. And when we go and we, we look at those things, we examine them. First of all, it expands us. It enables us to begin to think, wow, I was, I was thinking God of, of God this big and he's actually so much bigger than that, you know? So things like having a soul friend or going out to a desert island or practicing things like pilgrimage, which we don't really do so much anymore, but it was a yeah. powerful thing for people back in the day, you know, all those things we can pick up and practice and there's depth and there's richness mm. in all of those things. But I think we can also learn um, some of the, some of the things that the heroes did from the early church that we can identify with and we can go, wow, like, like in this film, St. Senan was on a desert island and did battle with a whole uh, sea monster, they say. That was probably a principality over that region. That's what and, I was thinking. Yeah, it, it's pretty wild. Yeah, pretty wild, <laughs> yeah. And yet he started a school that lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. So there's something about some of these patterns and life um, legacies that these guys did and that they left behind that you're just like, mm, that's inspiring. Okay, I'm going to pick mm-hmm. that one up and take that one with me, you know, add it to my arsenal or do some processing on that one because there's something in me that resonates with that place too. And it just yeah. keeps you fired up and fueled um, for what God wants to release through you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Rebecca, I would love for you to just pray for listeners um, as we close this out. And then we're going to talk about how people can watch this, when they can watch it, all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, Father God, I pray for fresh fire, Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. that you would stir our hearts, Lord. And and Father, I thank you for these gifts that you've given us, not just to pray for revival, but actually study what it looks like when you show up so that we can cultivate it, so we can sow into it. And Lord, that we would not have to wait for revival to happen, that we can press into you and begin to create places of prayer and spaces of your presence. And that's an open invitation anytime. God, I pray that you put a burning passion into each person, Lord, to run to you, to get with you, to create their own thin place, to talk to you, to have conversation, to explore what that looks like in deeper levels, God. And then you would help us to recognize when you're moving and partner with you in those places. I just thank you and praise you, God. Keep us alive and burning and shining bright as we step into the new seasons ahead. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Rebecca, this film, Celtic Rhythms, comes out this Friday, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. How can people watch it? Yeah, so the easiest thing is just to go to my website, which is RebeccaFriedlander.com, and all the links are there. So you can either uh, pre-order the DVD, which I'm shipping them this week, so you will have it really soon, um, or you can pre-order the digital download, and you'll get that automatically um, on March 17th. All that's linked on my website. Very awesome. Very awesome. And also, uh, everyone, in the description, we also linked a couple of other things as well. So if you want to book uh, a time at her prayer cabin, there's a spot there. It's all in the stuff we talked about section. There's also a link to her other Celtic films. Um, and then also she has something called launch your vision course. What's that Rebecca Friedlander? Yeah. So if any of you out there are visionaries and you want to know how to make a book or do a film or kind of compile all the pieces of your creative process together, I have a book called Launch Your Vision, and it asks you questions and gives you strategies and has uh, places that you can actually fill out blank spaces and write down your vision and run with it. Mm, Awesome. Well, Rebecca, this was great. I'm really excited for people to see the film. I know they're going to be really blessed by it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, everybody, that's our show. 
Be blessed. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to be concluding our Walking in Third Heaven Authority series with Mike Thompson. Part one was absolutely amazing. And I totally got blasted. And you guys all got to see it. I couldn't stop crying on the show. Uh, so I'm really excited for part two. We're going to be concluding that. That's tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Um, also, ElijahFire.com slash donate is how you donate. That keeps us five days a week, keeps it free on as many pl- platforms as we can manage. Um, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your generosity with that. Um, and then uh, again, just a reminder, Friday, this Friday, March 17th, Rebecca's movie, Celtic Rhythms, is dropping. So you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, God bless you guys, and we'll see you tomorrow with Mike Thompson at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today. 